Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. In just a moment, we'll be in Proverbs chapter 16, if you want to find that place in your copy of Scripture. We're going to read several Proverbs through the course of this sermon. But before we get started with the sermon, I would like to take a moment and just ask you to join with me in a word of prayer. Uh, I think... Uh, always there are things going on in the world that we need to bring before God in prayer. But we have our earthquake in Haiti and uh, all of the consequences of that, the disaster there, uh, the pullout in Afghanistan and believers that are, are left floundering in a situation of, of devastation and brokenness. The COVID pandemic as it kind of runs rampant all across our country uh, and in our community And there are just sometimes I think it is good for us as followers of Jesus to pause and pray a little bit longer and a little bit more about things that are outside our control. So I would invite you to join with me in a word of prayer. Lord of heaven and earth, God of everything, you are the reason that we can pray. Heavenly Father, there are moments and times in our lives where we go through circumstances and challenges Uh, And we know what to ask for. And then there are circumstances in our lives and across our world where the situations are just so far beyond our understanding and our ability to intervene that, Father, we are left with no choice but to pray. And, Lord, we're in one of those moments, uh, probably been in a series of those moments over the last months in our lives and the life of our country and the life of our world. Heavenly Father, I pray now for doctors and nurses that are on the front line of dealing with COVID patients at our hospital and hospitals across our nation. I pray, Father, for those who are sitting at home watching today that are sick, that are fighting off pneumonia, that are fighting off COVID, that are worried about other health challenges. And because of the the spread of COVID and the lack of hospital rooms, Loved ones and friends and even themselves may not get the immediate care that they might need or the long-term care that they might need right now. I pray for them. Ask, Father, that you intervene and work in our situations to bring healing and bring grace and mercy. Father, situations around our world are bigger than we can um, deal with. The earthquake in Haiti and the disaster, the lives lost, the challenge of providing assistance and help. I pray, Lord, for Samaritan's Purse, North Carolina Baptist, and others that are already on site serving and helping. I pray for those in our church that are serving already in Haiti. Protect them, use them as they care for those who are broken and who are devastated. Heavenly Father, I pray for our world. Afghanistan is only one example of the chaos that happens all across our land with corruption and with wickedness and with evil. Heavenly Father, I pray especially for the followers of you that are there. I know, Lord, that there are pastors of Christian churches who are fleeing from the Taliban's advance. I know, Heavenly Father, that there are Christians in hiding because they know what coming out of hiding would mean for their lives and for their families. Heavenly Father, will you protect them? Will you encourage them? Will you sustain them as followers of Jesus? Will you provide an outlet, a way of rescue for many of those who do need to flee the country, open those doors and meet those needs? 
Heavenly Father, we pray for our local government officials, our state officials, and our federal officials that are trying to make decisions that will affect the health and well-being of our land, of our schools, of our communities. Lord, give them wisdom. I pray, Lord, for us as your people. May we reflect an attitude of trust and dependence on you. May we reflect an attitude of love and compassion and care toward those around us. May we glorify you. And Father, we just put these situations that are bigger than us in your hands because thank goodness we know they're not bigger than you. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we're moving through some of the themes in the book of Proverbs, and we come to this theme on the topic of character, and we're looking at the subject of pride and humility. And Proverbs has a quite, quite a bit to say about pride and quite a bit to say about humility. Uh, this is not a fun sermon to study for, okay? Because as, as I reflect on the Scriptures, God makes it very clear that these Scriptures are not just for you sitting out there or for the folks that we think it's for that will never hear this sermon, but it's often for us as we're working through this, these passages of Scripture, for me as I'm studying them and getting ready to deliver them. This past Sunday afternoon, I came home and we were getting our lunch ready and enjoying a family meal or about to enjoy a family meal. And my sons came through the kitchen blowing the kazoos that Miss Danielle had lovingly shared with all the children that came to church this past Sunday. Thank you, Miss Danielle, by the way, for that, if she hears this. Anyway, my oldest son came through and he was blowing on the kazoo and he blew, he, he blew through that kazoo a song, and it sounded exactly like it was supposed to sound on a kazoo, or exactly as it was supposed to sound, and it was on a kazoo. I looked at my wife, and I said, Gene, how did he learn to play a kazoo, and it sounded exactly like a song is supposed to sound? She said, well, you have to be able to hum on tune, and as long as you can hum on tune, you can make a kazoo sound exactly like the song. And then she said, honey, you preached a great sermon today. You can't have everything. <laughs> I'm thankful for the great sermon part that she, she mentioned in that conversation. But you know, we can't have everything, even though we would like to have everything. We would like to be the best and the greatest. And in that moment, no one I was going to preach this sermon... I know that every single one of us struggles with thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. That's really what the book of Proverbs is getting at when it's talking about pride. Uh, a commentator, William Barclay, put it this way. He said, pride is the ground in which all other sins grow and the parent from which all other sins come. It's this idea that we think we know best we think we are the best, and there are different avenues of pride, and we're going to look at some of those. But it so permeates our experience with God and our experience with others and the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about things going on in our world. And our culture doesn't help us with this. There's an infatuation in our day and age with thinking of ourselves better the idea of self-esteem, one commentator in preparing for a sermon on pride did a search for self-esteem books on Amazon and came up with 15,000 hits for self-esteem. And in a particular article, he, he followed up with 
uh, called The Trouble with Self-Esteem, New York Times writer Lauren Slater said this, the fact is, and, and she's referencing, by the way, individuals who are put in prison uh, for major crimes, and they did some studies about their self-analysis, what they thought of themselves and what was going on. Here's what she said. The fact is, we've put antisocial men through every self-esteem test we have, and there's no evidence for the old psychodynamic concept that they secretly feel bad about themselves. Here's her observation. These men are racist or violent because they don't feel bad enough about themselves. Society and culture might tell us that we need to have a good opinion of, uh, of ourselves. We need to think highly of ourselves. We need to build our self-esteem, and that will make a better society, a better culture, a better atmosphere, better interactions with others. And folks, let me just say, that is not the testimony of Scripture nor is it what God expects of us uh, from the way that we behave. God does not want us to think better of ourselves. God wants us to think rightly of ourselves, accurately. And the book of Proverbs gives us some accurate descriptions and definitions of pride. For example, Proverbs 11.2 reads this, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Or how about the most famous of Proverbs on pride? Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Verse 19 reads, it is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. One of my favorites uh, on this subject is Proverbs 27, 1 and 2, where Solomon says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you. Not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. That's just a sampling. We'll read a few more in a moment. I'll give you three warnings about pride that I think come from the book of Proverbs that draw our attention to different aspects of pride. Uh, The first one is this. Beware of external pride that is evidenced in self-promotion. Beware of external pride that is evidenced in self-promotion. This is the kind of pride that that would, uh, would be obvious, right? If you've watched the Marvel movies, this is Tony Stark. He rebuilds a tower with his name emblazoned on the side of the tower. I mean, this is the kind of pride that is so obvious that every single person knows that that person is prideful. And every one of us knows somebody like that. We know somebody that they're all about themselves. They would emblazon their name on anything that they could show off who they are, that they're the greatest, that they're the best, that they're the most powerful, that they're the most important. I was reading a a news article about the Charlotte Hornets recently, and one of their star uh, basketball players, LaMelo Ball, he was asked to describe himself using terms. Here's the way he defined himself. Uh, Something you've never seen. Only one of one. Rare the golden child, and not from here. His opinion of himself, needless to say, is not low. It's rather high. Every single one of us knows people that think of themselves rather highly, that put themselves on a platform, that build themselves up. Say, Pastor, I know folks like that. I'm not like that. 
Folks, this is the external pride. And what external pride does is it has the opportunity to destroy us publicly. Because it is not too long before we can hold on to some kind of misconstrued view of ourselves. We can hold on to that. We can think it. We can believe it. We can grasp it. And eventually, pride's going to get in the way. And pride is going to cause us to experience something that is, that is destructive. It's going to ruin us. Pride tells us that, that our sins are not really sins. It tells us that our flaws are not really flaws. It tells us that our problems are not really problems. And eventually it lies to us so often that what we do, we end up destroying ourselves publicly by being prideful and by being arrogant. It doesn't take long to see all the politicians who have fallen or all the individuals who have fallen. And yes, their sin may have been something to do with sexual immorality or their sin may have, may have to do with something with money. And we'll talk about money as we move forward in the book of Proverbs. But it almost always is rooted in, a, in an overinflated view of oneself. Self-promotion. Say, Pastor, I, I really don't struggle with that. All you have to have to struggle with self-promotion is a social media account. Really. We live in a day and an age where it is all about promoting your image or the image you want people to think about you. You can make Facebook say whatever you want Facebook to say about you. You can make Instagram or TikTok or whatever social media app you prefer say whatever you want it to say about you. You can promote yourself in a way that you basically lie to people around you. You give them an impression of who you really are, but it's not really who you are. I'm not saying everybody who uses Facebook or a social media app is guilty of self-promotion. I'm just saying the opportunity is right in front of us to promote ourselves. Uh, recently, I've begun listening to a very interesting podcast entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, that is a church that uh, was planted in Seattle, Washington in the late 1990s. I followed that church plant and its pastor, Mark Driscoll, for a number of years, listened to some of his sermons, uh, and grew some benefit from his, some of his teaching. The short end is that church exploded to a megachurch status, more than 10,000 people, and then it imploded from the inside out, and essentially a lot of the campuses they had and the main campus shut down, and you could boil it down to a lot of simple things or several simple things. The, the most pressing issue for our sermon today is Mark Driscoll began promoting himself rather than promoting the gospel. The church began to be more about Mark's brand and Mark's platform than it was about promoting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I could point to a number of celebrity pastors and celebrity Christians who over the years their platform got bigger than their character. Self-promotion is a real problem and not just for a problem for people in the limelight. It is a problem for any of us. When we show signs of external pride, we open the door to destroy ourselves publicly. But not just external pride. Beware of internal pride. Internal pride is evidenced in other-oriented comparison. It, this is the kind of pride that's not saying it's all about me in the sense of I want everybody to see me. It, it's pride that says, I think I'm better than you. I think I'm better than you at, and then you fill in the blank. Let me give you some proverbs that illustrate this or that describe this. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, 
In other words, what Solomon is saying is that internally, before we walk into a fall, we're often full of hubris and thinking it can't happen to ourselves. But humility, he says, comes before honor. How about this one, Proverbs 21.4? Haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. What are haughty eyes? They're eyes that look down on another person. They're eyes that think that they're better than another person. C.S. Lewis described it this way in, uh, in his book, Mere Christianity. He, say, he, he, he wrote, We say that people are proud of being rich, clever, or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else were equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Now, some of you in the room, you're not really in danger of promoting yourself. I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, that's a struggle for me. But I tell you, a bigger struggle for me and maybe a bigger struggle for you, it's not the idea that you want everybody to see you and fall down and worship you in a, in a sense. It's this idea that we think we're better than somebody else, that we compare ourselves to another person. I, I may not be as good looking as that guy, but I'm a lot smarter than that guy. Uh, I, I may not be a, as wealthy as that person, but man, I'm a whole lot nicer than that person. And, and what do we do? We constantly find ourselves in a place of comparison where, where we think we're more spiritual than another person or we think we're healthier than another person and, and we live in this world of comparison. This is problematic. Comparing things is what drives us away from being content with what God has blessed us with. In a book that I've, re- that I've referenced in the worship guide entitled Vain Glory, The Forgotten Vice, the author there, Rebecca DeYoung, she points out that vainglory is a part of pride. It's one of those vices that's similar to pride. And she talks about how in vainglory in the, in the Middle Ages, when they were identifying these particular vices, one of the offshoots of vainglory is this idea that we want things that are novel, in other words, if I have something that's newer and better than you have, then, then I, I'm, I'm doing better. And I get to show off what's newer that I have than, than what you have. And folks, in our consumer marketing-driven age, we're living in that world right now. How many of you are content with the last cell phone you bought? If you are, fantastic. Because there are about three or four or five versions better than the one that you own that are on the market today. Same thing with televisions, same thing with cars, same things with microwaves, same thing. It doesn't matter what it is. There's a newer version, there's a better version, there's a snazzier version, and what do we have a tendency to do? We have a tendency to long for something newer and better. By the the way, do you know why you long for something newer and better? Because marketing agencies have discovered that if they can put it in front of you and make it look sleeker, make it seem better, then they can get you to be attracted to it and buy it. It's a tool of comparison. And what do we do when we get something newer and better? We, we show it off. We kind of point, point it out. And, and that's a, an aspect of internal pride where we're comparing ourselves or what we have with something that somebody else has. The problem with this perspective is that it is still self-absorbed. In fact, some of you 
in the room right now are thinking of, of, of this, right? You're comparing yourself to someone else. You're comparing yourself in the way you look or the way you behave or the way you act. Or goodness gracious, you're comparing yourself to all those hypocrites who have not been back to church in 18 months. Like, well, I'm back at church. I'm better than that person. And, and we have a tendency to do that in all sort of ways. This is, an in, this is a serious problem with pride when it's internal, when we compare ourselves to others. And we're all guilty of this. By the way, we can do this in, in a negative sense or a different kind of sense in Facebook or social media as well. It can drive us to things like despair. Not just because we think we're better, but because we realize we're not. If you follow uh, some people on Facebook, you'll think that they've, they've got way more money than you do because of the cars they show off and the vacations that they go on. And I'm not against vacations or even promoting that on Facebook. My point is when we sit down and follow and scroll through that, we have a tendency to do what? Compare where we are to where they are. And that is internal pride. That's us thinking that there's something wrong with us which can lead to despair or us trying to find a way that we're better than them even when that particular thing that they have shows off in some way. It's internal pride and it's destructive. By the way, external and internal pride can both destroy us publicly, internally. They can destroy us in our relationships with one another. I mean, try it sometime. Constantly compare yourself to somebody else and see if you continue in your relationships doesn't work. It drives us away from one another rather than to one another. We're not drawn to people who are prideful. We're drawn to people who are humble. But let me give you a third warning about pride, and it's spiritual pride. Beware of spiritual pride as evidenced in misplaced devotion. Proverbs 22.4 reads this, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. If you take those verses of Scripture and you compare them one to one another, uh, pride leads to destruction, pride leads to separation, haughty spirit goes before a fall, but then you look at what humility does, God promises or, or says in, through the book of Proverbs in this particular lesson, He says that those who are humble will receive honor and receive life. The contrast is this, when we are prideful spiritually, we end up on a path toward separation from God and destruction. You see, spiritual pride results in eternal destruction because spiritual pride says that we don't need God. Spiritual pride says that I'm better than God's standards expect me to be or I don't need what God wants to say to me or I don't have any reason to listen to God whatsoever. Spiritual pride is the most insidious version of pride that there is, because essentially it says God is not who God says he is, and I don't need to listen to anybody that I think is either a figment of imagination or it can tell me what to do. Spiritual pride can be evidenced in all sorts of different ways. You can go to the Buddhist monks who, who are living their lives trying to be detached from everything to experience some type of what we would call nirvana. They, they get in touch with peace. And, and guess what? Everybody looks to them for some kind of guidance. And spiritual pride can be exhibited in some kind of asceticism that would say, I'm better than everybody else in the world. Spiritual pride can come in the form of politicians and pundits and professors. 
who spew all sort of moral claims about the way we ought to live and what we ought to be doing with life, telling you to live a certain way but being inconsistent in their own behavior. That's a form of spiritual pride. It's thinking that they're the only ones that are right and everybody better turn and listen to them. Spiritual pride is evidenced all throughout the New Testament too as well with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. The Pharisees who said, you need to follow God's law the way I say you need to follow God's law. And they wanted everybody to look to them rather than everybody to look to the law or look to the God behind the law. Spiritual pride can be evidenced in all sort of ways. Spiritual pride is not only for the outward and brash, but it's also evidenced in the heart of many billions of people on planet Earth, including maybe some of us. Spiritual pride can be described like this. I'm okay with God because I'm not as bad as my coworkers or my boss. You know, there's a tendency for some of us, even when we hear a sermon like this, to automatically turn our attention to the fact that, man, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not as bad as, and you fill in the blank of who that is, so I really don't need to hear this. Or, I'm okay with God because I'm not like that person. God must be okay with me because I'm not as bad as that politician. I'm not as bad as that great sinner. I'm not as bad as that adulterer. I'm not as bad as that prideful person. So God must be okay with me. Spiritual pride can be exhibited in so many different ways. But here's the problem. Spiritual pride will keep people out of heaven. Spiritual pride will keep us away from God. The greatest sin for keeping people out of heaven is unbelief, but spiritual pride is one of the greatest tempters or tendencies that lead us toward not believing in God because spiritual pride tells us lies. It tells us things like we don't need to do what God says we need to do or it tells us that God's not right or accurate about his assessment of our own hearts or it tells us that God isn't accurate about the solution to people's problems in the world. And spiritual pride drives us to unbelief. It drives us away from God and drives us toward ourselves. The problem with that is that's not what the gospel teaches at all. The gospel doesn't teach us that we need to be a better version of ourselves. See, spiritual pride gets in our hearts and says, okay, here's what you need to do. Pastor's preaching a sermon on pride. You need to go be less prideful this week. You need to go out this week and you need to do some humble things. You need need to bow your head down and you need to serve somebody that doesn't deserve to be served. And maybe you need to have somebody take a picture of you while you're doing it so that maybe you could post that on Facebook so everybody will know that you did a humble thing. But spiritual pride tempts us into thinking that the answer to pride is that we just go out and do better. But that's not what the gospel teaches at all. The gospel never teaches us that the solution to our internal problems, our sin problems, or our pride problems, is going out and installing better character traits in the way that we live. Now, it's not bad to be humble. It's not bad to be self-controlled. It's not bad to be full of integrity. In fact, those are examples, or those are are characteristics and virtues that come with living out the gospel. But you can't start with the virtue as being the the solution to the problem. See, here's what the gospel teaches. The gospel teaches us that you don't need to be better than you are now, nor does the gospel teach you that you need to be better than someone else. Here's what the gospel says. The gospel says to you and to me that we need to be absolutely perfect. And the problem with being absolutely perfect is that we're not. 
The gospel doesn't tell us that we need self-esteem. The gospel teaches us that we need self-regret. The gospel teaches us that we're sinners and we don't need to go out and do better. It teaches us that we need a Savior who did what we could not do. See, the solution to spiritual pride is not found in yourselves and it's not found in your character and it's not found in your virtues. It's found in Jesus Christ. Let me speak to all of us for a moment. I'm going to speak to you as Christians and I'm going to speak to those of you that are non-Christians as we conclude our message. Here's the solution to pride. Look to Jesus. Pride tells us to look at ourselves. Or tells us to look around at someone else and compare who we are with who they are. In any case, it is self-focused. Every aspect of pride is self-absorbed and self-oriented. It's all about what we think. It's all about what we do. Either promoting ourselves as in external pride or in comparing ourselves as in internal pride. Or in misplacing our devotion in the wrong thing as in spiritual pride. See, the misplaced devotion aspect is this. When I think I can solve my own spiritual problems by doing better, being better, being nicer, behaving better, obeying the law, what am I doing? I am placing my devotion in a thing, in a pattern, in a behavior, and not in the right person. I'm placing it in myself. I'm going to tell you this. Many people who are on the path toward hell are on the path toward hell with really good motivations for doing the right thing. The problem is they have put their devotion in their own behavior and in their own good works. There are plenty of people sitting in churches all across America this weekend. Plenty of people watching churches online and at home all this weekend. There are plenty of people that quit watching church online 18 months ago and quit going to church, that the reason they're going to hell is not because they're the worst person in the world. The reason they're going to hell is because they're relying on the wrong things to get them there. They have put their devotion in their own behavior, their own past, what happened sometime so many years ago, or their own character, their own virtue, and they're on a path to separation from God. The gospel teaches us the opposite. It teaches us that we need Jesus. Folks, do you know what the solution to pride is as a follower of Jesus? Look to Jesus. The more you get enamored with somebody who is far greater than you are, far more grandiose than you are, far more full of grace than you are, far more full of wonder than you are, it's really hard to think about yourself when Jesus is the only person that's in your sight, line of sight. It's hard to think about what is important to you or what matters to you or promoting yourself or comparing yourself when the one you're looking at is so much greater and more amazing than anything we could ever hope for. Follower of Jesus, you want to solve the pride problem in your own life. Let me give you a great piece of advice. Go to the Bible and look at Jesus over and over and over again. Think on him. Meditate on him. Explore his character. The more you look at Jesus, the more you will begin to act like Jesus, which is humble and pure of heart. Jesus, the other night we were doing our family devotions and we had finished up Matthew 11. Read this wonderful paragraph in Matthew 11 that I think is just beautiful. One of my favorite in all of scripture. It's 11.25. At that time, Jesus declared, telling his disciples, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. You've got to think for a moment. The disciples are in this, con- they're hearing this prayer being prayed. This is after Jesus has taught them what it means to be a follower and a disciple. 
and go out and share the message. And Jesus is saying, Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from, the, from who we would say are wise. And you've revealed it to children, to little ones, these disciples. You've revealed it in them. But notice how he goes on. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus issues this famous invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I preach a whole sermon, probably a whole series of sermons from that passage of Scripture. We won't do that, not, not, not tonight. I do want to draw your attention to a couple of phrases, though. One is this. Jesus says to everyone listening, I am lowly. Now, if I stood up to you before you tonight and said, I am humble, then you would have a hard time believing that I really had any idea what I was supposed to be preaching about. Because you just don't walk around claiming to be humble. And yet that's exactly what Jesus dared to do in this passage of Scripture. He said, I am lowly. I am gentle. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm humble. And why is Jesus saying that he's humble? Because Jesus set aside the privileges of deity to experience the limitations of humanity so that our limitations as humans would not keep us from going to heaven. Listen, Jesus can say he is humble. Jesus can say he is lowly because everything Jesus did on planet earth wasn't to promote himself, but was to bring us to salvation. There's a beautiful picture here of what Jesus did to offer us salvation. Folks, the only person that should promote himself is Jesus. The only person that really deserves any comparison with anybody else is Jesus the only person that never misplaces devotion in anything other than the, the things that are right is Jesus. And do you know how often Jesus put himself on a pedestal and demanded worship? Never. He said, I am humble and I am lowly and I am inviting you to come to me. Now, why would he say that? Why would he connect humility with an invitation to come to him? Invitation to come to him who are weary. An invitation to those who are weary to come to him. Because folks... Carrying on in pride is a tiresome event. Do you realize you cannot ever promote yourself enough to make yourself happy with yourself? There, there's no place that spiritual, that, that, excuse me, that external pride ends where, where you're content. It'll never be enough. The sign with your name on it will never be big enough. The bank account with your money in it will never be big enough. If that's your goal, it is a wearisome event. Do you realize how easy it is to compare yourself to one another? And man, that is tiresome. Uh, you know, if I, if, I, if I stop looking at Facebook, then you know what I have a tendency to do? I have a tendency to compare myself to all those terrible people who still look at Facebook. Seriously. Right? We, we, we find new ways to compare ourselves to others, and that is tiresome. It, it's, it makes us weary, and spiritual pride is the worst. 
Some of you watching at home and some of you in this room, you are weary because you are trying your best to get God to like you and get God to be happy with you by smiling right or going to church enough or giving enough in the offering plate or singing enough songs or doing something to make God happy. And let me tell you something, it is a tiresome event. You will wear yourself out trying to be devoted to the wrong things. Do you know what Jesus says? He says, look at me. He says, come to me. He invites every single one of us in this room to come to him and say, Father, I'm tired. I'm tired of being so prideful. I'm tired of being so full of comparison. I'm tired of misplacing my devotion and all the wrong things. I I just need some help. And you know what Jesus offers every single time we come to him? He offers us something better than a virtue. He offers us himself. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us grace. He offers us mercy. Folks, some of you right now are wrestling with spiritual pride. You don't even know you are. You're wrestling with it. Here's what you're thinking. Man, I wish, wish so-and-so were here for this sermon. Man, I, mean, I, I know somebody that really needed this. You're wrestling with it. Some of you are so full of spiritual pride that you would not dare come to this altar and confess your sins and trust Jesus as your Savior. Because you, you don't want your friends and family to think something's off between you and God. Spiritual pride is what's keeping you from trusting Jesus to be your Savior. Some of you kids and some of you teenagers, there's a sense of apathy in your heart that's keeping you from coming to know Jesus. And really what it is, it's pride. It's you saying, I'm not willing to give up what I think I want in life to follow Jesus because I I don't want somebody to think of me weird and I don't want to, to, to be thought of poorly. That's pride and spiritual pride and external pride and internal pride. They'll make us tired and they'll keep us from Jesus And here's what I'm begging you to do. I'm begging you in this moment, in this invitation, to come to Jesus. If you're here in this room tonight and you have not yet trusted Jesus to be your Savior, stop letting your pride keep you from Jesus. Jesus is here waiting to save you. He doesn't want you to get better. He doesn't want you to do better. He wants you to receive Him so He can forgive you right where you are. If you're at home, if you're watching... I want to bow down on your knees if you can and admit that you're a sinner. Confess that Jesus alone is Lord. Believe on him. Commit your life to following him. You know what Jesus will do? He will forgive you of your spiritual pride. Christian, if you're here in the room and you've been weary from comparison, from external pride, and, and you've discovered maybe you've got some misplaced devotion in your own life and you're full of spiritual pride, come Jesus. Let him forgive you. Let him cleanse you. Let him change your heart. Stand with me, if you will, as we move into this time of invitation. If you'd like to trust Jesus, I'll be available. If you want to come pray, you come pray and trust Jesus to cleanse and forgive you of whatever you bring to him. Heavenly Father, come to you in this moment, and I thank you that you love us more than we deserve. I thank you for the lessons and the warnings on pride from the book of Proverbs. But most importantly, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came humble. You came to die on a cruel cross for my sins and for our sins. So that our sins could be washed, could be cleansed. So that we could be forgiven of our pride and our arrogance and our self-righteousness. And so that we could know Jesus as Lord and Savior. 
Father, thank you for looking down at me and my arrogant, prideful estate when I was a teenager and bringing me to a place where I would trust you as Lord and Savior. And I pray that in this moment, as I bring my sins and my pride before you, that you would forgive and cleanse, that you would take the burdens I've tried to carry and help me to realize only you can carry them. Father, have your way in our worship service tonight. Have your way in our worship service as folks are watching at home. Have your way in our worship services this weekend as we are confronted with these warnings and offered an invitation from Jesus to be cleansed and forgiven and to receive the goodness that comes of knowing Jesus as Savior. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.